Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. This week in Christian history is Holy Week. It's the week where some 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, was celebrated. During that week, he had a number of conversations with religious leaders. His followers were there. There was all sort of uncertainty. I think in reality, Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, was trying to get Jesus to step up and be that political Messiah that they longed for. That week um, had a lot of heartbreak to it. The, the man that these 12 followers had given up everything to follow was arrested. He prayed there in Gethsemane, an agonizing prayer. He was taken to Caiaphas and the religious leaders, eventually to be crucified on that cross on a Friday. That week, 2,000 years ago, ended on a Saturday with disoriented, troubled, and frustrated followers. Fast forward a couple thousand years to today, this week in our world has been just as troubling and devastating. Uh, if you look out across uh, world, the, the world stage, you have a war going on in Europe. Christians in Ukraine are gathered in some places to celebrate Easter. But I promise you, they're not cooperating with their local government like we are to celebrate Easter. Their Easter looks a whole lot different this year than any year previous. Looks different than normal because they're in the middle of a battle. They're in the middle of a war. This week in our world is troubled. It's frustrated. This week in our community has witnessed some devastation from motorcycle accidents to house fires and heartbreak and death and uncertainty. And some of us, as we gather in a place like this for a wonderful Easter celebration, we feel a little bit more like Saturday from 2,000 years ago than we do like Sunday from today. And what do we do when we come into a gathered worship experience and we're not sure exactly what to say or exactly what to claim or exactly how to work through that? Well, I'll be honest with you, what I've done for the last several days is pray. Last several weeks is pray. The Lord led me to a passage of Scripture a number of weeks ago from Ephesians chapter 1. It's a resurrection prayer. What are we going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to look at what Paul prayed about the resurrection. And I'm just going to pick out three specific affirmations from that prayer that Paul prayed that I hope will leave us with some encouragement, some comfort, and also some glorious reason to celebrate. Read with me, if you will, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, or writes, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might. Notice verse 20, that He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Three affirmations that I hope will leave us with some encouragement and some challenge. Let me give you the first one. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can know God. Paul said he he was praying for the church there, and he was praying that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, that God would show himself to the people there in Ephesus, the church. Revelation in what? The knowledge of him. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. It's a cognitive understanding. It's the idea that we know something factually or intellectually. But that's not the word Paul used when he said knowledge. He used the word epignosis. Epignosis. Which epi is, a, is, a, is an introduction to that word that carries with it more fullness. It's a preposition. It means on or upon. It carries with it the idea that here's what Paul was asking for, for the church. Paul wanted us to know God not just in a factual sense. Paul wanted us to know God not just in a sense of intellectual assent. Okay, there's a God who made the world. No, Paul wanted his readers, he wanted the church to know God in a personal sense. To know God relationally. To know God interactively. To know God in a way where God knows the very deepest parts of who we are. And we know God in a glorious, wonderful way. I want to tell you something, folks. God is the creator of all things. He is glorious and sufficient and wonderful and mighty. And God is inaccessible in some ways. He's holy. Folks, he dwells in unapproachable light, as is said in the book of 1 Timothy. Paul's other claim. But here's the reality. God sent Jesus so that you and I can know God personally. Know God relationally. Know God in a way where he knows you and you know that he knows you. And so because Jesus rose, we can know God. Well, how does that make sense? Well, see, if God wanted us to experience religion... Religion is a method of getting to know a God or getting to know a religious system based on works and what we do. And there are plenty of religions out in the world. There are plenty of ways, plenty of doctrines, plenty of ideologies that will tell you if you do this or if you do that or if you do this the right way or if you sacrifice this or if you come the right time or give this amount of stuff, then you'll be right with your God or your deity or your creator. That's not biblical Christianity. If God wanted us to have a religion, he would have given us more instructions or sent to us more instructions. God did not, get, did not send us more instructions. He sent us a person. Folks, God sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to walk on planet earth so that Peter and James and John and Paul and these other disciples could know him personally, intimately, and relationally. Say, well, well, Jesus is walking around here in Wilkesboro today. Well, physically, he's not walking around in Wilkesboro today. But because Jesus rose, guess what? You can know God personally. You know how I know that to be true? Because the Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross as your substituted mine. He took your sins and he took my sins and he paid for them on Calvary's cross. And then he went to the grave. He was buried in that grave. We've sung about that just this morning. He was buried, but he rose again. The Bible tells us when he rose, then he ascended after meeting with 
with his followers. And when he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit down to be with those of us that are his followers. Do you know how the resurrection points to the reality that you can know God? It points to the reality that you can know God because God sent his Holy Spirit to come and dwell all of us that are believers. Because God rose from the dead, because Jesus rose from the dead, folks, you can know God. Some of you are here today, and your challenge is just that. You're a pretty religious person. You live in a pretty religious place with all sort of churches all around Wilkes County. You've been to church, you've been on Easter, and you've been on Christmas, and you've been at other times. You're a pretty religious person, but do you really know God? Listen, Jesus came and died and rose again so that you could have a personal relationship with a living Savior. Because Jesus rose, you can know God. Secondly, because Jesus rose, you can have life. You can have life. Did you catch that phrase? The power of the knowledge of God. In other words, Paul wants us to know the spirit of the wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God as is evidenced by the power that God used to do what? To raise Jesus from the dead. The words there are stunning. There's the word dunamis, which means raw power. There's another Greek word that means working, which suggests an inward propulsion of power. There's another word kratos, which means the ability to conquer. And then God's might is iskus, which means a physical force. In other words, Paul's terminology there is simply this, that God worked in glorious ways to bring Jesus out of the grave. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. But death, folks, is a brutal, brutal enemy. Here today is one of our deacons, Don Carpenter. He he works at Rain's Tournament Funeral Home. And I'm sure if you pulled Don to the side, he could tell you all sort of stories about funerals. He could tell you all sort of things that have happened at churches and at graveyards and at places where people gathered to meet with the family. But one story Don will never tell you is how someone got up out of a grave. That just doesn't happen, folks. People don't come back from the dead. But one did. His name is Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did not stay in a grave, but he rose from the dead. Some of you are here and you're, you're skeptical about that. You're not certain that that's the case. Folks, there are a lot of really good reasons for believing that Jesus physically, historically, actually rose from the dead. Let me give you just a few of these. And if you're still skeptical after today, I'd love to talk to you about all the other reasons that we can believe the resurrection actually took place. Let me give you just a handful of them. First, there's an empty tomb. No matter what else you say about the resurrection, there is not a body in the tomb. There's no place any of us can go in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem that can show you where there's a body and that body is Jesus. There's an empty tomb. Say, well, the disciples took the body of Jesus. Well, that, that could have made sense were it not for the fact that the disciples weren't the same disciples after they met the risen Jesus. They were in an upper room. They were scared to death of what was going to happen. They thought they were next. And yet you find them in the book of Acts preaching and teaching and dying for their belief in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The first witnesses, by the way, were women who who could not testify in a court of law. All sort of reasons for believing in the resurrection. Did you know all the disciples save one were martyred for their faith? And John, who didn't die a martyr's death, still uh, suffered immeasurably for his belief in the resurrection. The spread of Christianity... Just think about this for a second. 
We are here in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, thousands of miles removed from the location where Jesus' life, death, ministry, and resurrection took place. Thousands of years removed from those events. And we're here today. What are we doing? We're celebrating the resurrection. That doesn't guarantee that a resurrection took place. But I'm going to tell you this. Knowing the change in your life and knowing the change in my life, something took place that was miraculous. And I certainly believe the best explanation for that is that Jesus rose from the dead. Here's another thing. The Jewish believers worshipped on Saturdays. They worshipped on Saturdays for generations. For generations, for more than a thousand years, they worshipped on Saturdays. But you know what the early church did? They stopped worshipping on a Saturday. They changed the entirety of their cultural history to worship on a Sunday because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, death is a brutal enemy. Death is a cruel enemy. Death is a permanent enemy, at least in the sense that all of us one day are going to die. But death is not an ultimate enemy because of the resurrection. Because Jesus rose, we can have life. Not just life today. Not just life for the next few years. But the Bible says, because Jesus rose, you can have eternal life. Now death frightens us. Naturally so. Death frightens us. Because we're not sure what's going to happen. We're not sure when it's going to take place. Sometimes it happens expectedly. Sometimes it happens unexpectedly. But it frightens us. I want to tell you something. Because death happens in a frightening way, it is good news that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated that enemy that doesn't have to rule over us. And folks, if you want to have eternal life, the only way you can have eternal life is through someone who has defeated death, and his name is Jesus. Because Jesus rose, you can have life. Let me give you one last affirmation from this text. It's found in Paul's prayer. Because Jesus rose, you can have peace. You have peace. So you look around the world that we live in, and it is full of chaos, and it is full of trouble and difficulty. And the world in which Paul lived, and the world in which the Ephesian church gathered, was a world full of chaos and trouble. And in that final set of phrases, the Bible says, or Paul prays, that we would know that Jesus is the one who has authority over all principalities, authorities, powers, names that are named, that he's in control. That song, Ancient of Days, is an accurate song testifying to the very truth of Jesus' reign over all of those principalities and powers. In the Ephesian culture, that was because they believed in magic and they believed in all sort of pagan deities. They worshipped at the temple of Artemis, different gods and different deities. In fact, when Paul preached there and proclaimed the gospel, the gospel transformed the Ephesian city, the city of Ephesus, where people gave up some of their magical books and their magical items that totaled up to 50,000 pieces of silver because they were turning away from the false beliefs of these other ideologies and turning to a faith relationship in Jesus Christ. And what the Bible says here is that Jesus is above all of those principalities, all of those powers, all of those names. Folks, there's no demon. There's no ideology. There is no false faith. There is no God or goddess that is above Jesus. Jesus reigns above all of those because he rose from the dead. How does that offer us peace? Because he is in control of all of the circumstances in the world. Now for, for us today in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, we may not be struggling with Jesus' rule and reign over deities and demons and other ideologies. 
But we look around us and we see the political division in our own country. We see the frustrations between identity politics. We see the difficulties that surround our communities. We watch and we look at a war that is going on in Russia and Ukraine. We see the evil that is taking place. And we wonder, is God really in charge? Is Jesus really in charge? I'm here to tell you, Jesus is in charge because he rose from the dead. We could go all the way back to the book of Daniel to see that. God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to have a vision, a dream of this giant image with a head of gold and a body of silver and legs of bronze and feet of brass and clay. Let him see this giant image. And in his image, what troubled Nebuchadnezzar so much is that there was a rock that had been hewn out without, uh, without human hand. And that rock came down and it destroyed that image. And Nebuchadnezzar couldn't figure out that dream. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't make sense of it. But God gave Daniel an ability to be able to interpret that dream. All the way back in Daniel 2, Daniel went to King Nebuchadnezzar, told him his dream, and he said, Nebuchadnezzar, here's what that dream means means that there are four kingdoms. Yours is the kingdom of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold. There's going to be a kingdom that comes after you. It's silver. There's going to be a kingdom that comes after that. It's bronze. And there's finally going to be a fourth kingdom that comes after that. That's iron and clay. And in the time of that fourth kingdom, there's going to be another kingdom that God establishes. The rock is the picture of that kingdom that God establishes. And that kingdom will never, ever, ever go away. That's what's going to happen. And you say, how does that fit with Ephesians chapter 1? Here's how it fits with Ephesians chapter 1. Because Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the kingdom of gold, the Babylonian kingdom, became the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, the kingdom of silver, became the kingdom of Greece, the kingdom of bronze, became the kingdom of Rome, the kingdom of clay and iron. And in that kingdom, when Rome reigned over the world, God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus, and Jesus came, and he announced the same terminology Daniel talked about. His first sermon was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Folks, because Jesus rose, you and I can have peace. Here's where we can have peace. God doesn't always promise to take away the circumstances in our lives that shatter us and shake our faith. But God does promise that he will never forsake us and leave us alone in the midst of those circumstances. God promises in the person of Jesus that he will be with us forever and forever and forever to give us an opportunity to experience peace. And do you know how that it's experienced? It's experienced in the church. Do you get that? He gave Christ to be the head over all things to the church. You want to see the kingdom of God at work? I wish I could tell you all the stories in the last week about how I've seen the kingdom of God at work through the love and ministry of people at Wilkesboro Baptist Church and other churches for hurting people in our community. I wish I could point out all the ways that people in our community and people in our church have expressed the very truth that Jesus is the one who reigns and is in charge. Some of you lack peace. Jesus came to offer peace. He came to offer peace that will give you a sense of eternal comfort. Listen, some of you are here this morning, and maybe you're honest. You feel a little bit like the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 30. I don't know God. 
I don't know God. I don't have a peace. I don't have a relationship with God. I'm here to tell you if you're here today and you don't know God, Jesus rose from the dead to give you an opportunity to have a relationship with him. But for you to know God, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're afraid of death. Legitimately, you're frightened of death. Maybe because there's less time in front of you than there is behind you. In fact, for probably most of us in this gathered body of believers and unbelievers, there's more time behind us than is in front of us before we see death. And maybe that scares you. Maybe you're not sure what's going to happen after death. I want to tell you, if you want to know that you have eternal life, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus alone. Maybe you're here today and you're worried about all the things that are going on in the world. You're worried about the conflict in Europe. You're worried about inflation. You're worried about politics. You're worried about uncertainty. And it has caused frets and frustrations in your life. Maybe you like peace. You like peace because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. In order for you to have peace, in order for you to be a part of this kingdom where Jesus reigns, you need to believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. Paul's phrase in the text is that God's power that resurrects us, that gives us life, that gives us knowledge of Him, that gives us peace, is toward us who believe. Listen, God's not waiting on you to do better. God's not waiting on you to come to church more often. God's not waiting on you to clean your life up. God's invitation for life, God's invitation for relationship, God's invitation for peace is simply to those of you that would believe in Jesus Christ and believe in Him alone. Let me illustrate what saving faith looks like. Because a lot of you are here today and you'd say, okay, you got me, I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. No problem. I don't doubt that. I believe. Saving faith is more than just admitting to or assenting to the facts of the gospel. Saving faith is putting your hope in Jesus alone as the one who can forgive you and redeem you. About 160 years ago or so, there was this name, a man by the name of Blondin. He, he was a tightrope walker. And he gathered these huge crowds with him over at Niagara Falls. And they stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And Blondin, as he had gathered these crowds on both sides of the falls, he walked back and forth. He walked back and forth across those falls on that tightrope. And these crowds were gathered and he had walked back and forth. And he finally came back to one of the crowds. And he asked the folks in the crowd... Hey, do you believe I could take someone with me across on my back? You know what everyone in that crowd did after they watched him walk across that tightrope? They all said, yes, we absolutely believe you can take someone across on your back. Then Blondin looked at one man pointedly and he said, then would you get on my back? You know what that man said? Nope. I'm not getting on. I believe that you can do it. But I'm not going to trust that you're going to do it with me. Tell you something, folks. You may be here and you may believe factually all the things that the gospel requires. Jesus lived a perfect life. 
died on a cross, rose from the dead. But saving faith is letting him have your sin, confessing that you cannot save yourself, and believing in him alone to offer you forgiveness and eternal life. If that's you today, the greatest thing that could happen on this Easter celebration for you is to trust Jesus alone to be your Savior. In just a moment, our praise team is going to lead an invitation hymn, an invitation song. When they do, we're going to ask you to stand. And if you'd like to respond and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be down front. I'd love nothing more than to talk to you about that. But for all of you that are here, here's what I want you to do. If you're not sure that you have eternal life and you'd like it, if you're not sure that you have the peace that God offers and you'd like to experience it, if you're not sure that you're ready to die and meet God in heaven and you'd like to know how to have eternal life, inside the worship God that you got, the welcome God, is a tear tab. That tear tab gives you a place to put your name, contact information, and if you'd like to know more about following Jesus, trusting in Him to be your Savior, would you check that box that says learning more about following Jesus? Put your name and a cell number where we can reach out to you. I would love nothing more than sometime this week to talk to you about putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone. Listen, the resurrection changes everything. Maybe you're here today and you're still skeptical. Maybe you're here today and you're not skeptical at all. You just are not sure you're ready to follow Jesus with everything. I'm going to tell you something. We're not sure when life and death happens. Today, God has brought you to this appointed place for us to worship and celebrate and for you to have an opportunity to know Christ and experience Christ. And if you'd like to trust Him today, today Jesus is inviting you to meet Him as the resurrected Christ and bring you salvation and forgiveness. If you'd like to do that this morning, I'll be right down front. If you'd like to talk afterward, I'll be available. There will be folks at all of our information tents that would love nothing more than to talk to you about faith in Jesus. If you've got a child that's questioning about salvation, Miss Danielle is back under the children's tent. We'd love nothing more than to talk to you about eternal life. Let me offer a word of prayer and ask you to stand, if you would, as we enter this time of invitation, an opportunity for us to respond and meet the risen Jesus. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you more than anything for the privilege that we have to celebrate you. Lord God, it is a glorious privilege to know that you rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And you're inviting us to put our faith and trust in you. I know there are some here today who aren't sure about the gospel. I know there are some here today who haven't yet uh, decided whether to follow Jesus. I know there are some here today that need to experience life. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in their hearts and would bring them to a faith relationship with you today. Lord, I know there are others here today that, Lord, we've made that decision. We've trusted you as Savior. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for the risen Jesus who changed our lives. But yet we're still concerned. We're afraid. We're uncertain. Maybe we're not walking as closely to you as we ought to. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming so that we could know you. Thank you for coming and rising from the dead so that we could have peace. Thank you for coming and rising from the dead that we could have assurance of eternal life. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we as your church, as your people, who you are head over and you are Lord over, I pray that we would leave this day encouraged at the opportunity to celebrate a risen Savior. Have your way in our hearts and lives this day. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.